so good to be in church. It's good to be home. It was awesome to travel and to get away a little bit, but uh, there's nothing like coming back home and coming to your church family and being a part of a worship service. And uh, again, thank you for allowing our family to travel and to be back uh, and get some rest and I don't know if rest and relaxation is what happened for, uh, we drove almost 6,100 miles over the course of three weeks, uh, four children in the back of a vehicle. Uh, you can think of the rest and relaxation of some of that on your own there, but uh, no, it was uh, the way out. We had only one. My three girls flew to Ohio, and we took just my son and my wife and I, and uh, uh, so it was actually... That was a pretty simple trip, but uh, no, we had, a, we had a great time. We had a great time seeing family and friends. Uh, um, all of my wife's family is, we all from Ohio, but they're all still there, and so we got with all of them. Uh, we saw all the cousins and the nieces and nephews and great nephews we have back in Ohio, and uh, I, I feel old. When, it, when, it, when great happens before the uncle, it just... It changes the perspective a little bit, or at least in my mind. Uh, I was good at 40, but that that one makes me feel different. Um, But uh, we saw those, and then we were able to, uh, on the way, we're not intelligent, but from Ohio, we went to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and uh, there my sister lives in South Carolina, my other sister lives in Atlanta, and my parents, we all met together there for a few days, and uh, just had a, a great, great time, and so thank you for allowing us to do that. I will share at some point stories along the road. Um, I don't have a lot of crazy stories, but uh, we had a good hour and a half coming back into town, and so that was fun. Uh, when you come home and your house is 101 degrees, uh, that's a good welcome home to Vegas. And not outside 101, inside 101. So uh, that was our welcome home, but uh, nonetheless, we are continuing in Titus chapter 3. My goal is to, uh, uh, well, I don't know how long Dan was last couple weeks, but I'm going to assume I'll probably exceed his time. Maybe. How long were you? 45? All right. Well, I'll be about an hour and 10. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but in all seriousness, I've got a lot here that's as much as is in the passage of Scripture, but just uh, God has really stirred on my heart. When I uh, was out of town, I, I knew I was coming back to speak in this Titus 3 and to finish out our study. And so just about every day when I would do my Bible reading, I would read through this chapter and uh, just God spoke in so many different ways, but uh, I I believe this with everything in me. I do not know or remember of a time uh, over the last seven, eight years that God has truly just taken a passage of Scripture that we had planned to study and made it more applicable and more practical than everything that we have studied over the last several weeks in the time and in the day and age in which we are doing it. Um... it's just been so almost weird how God has just taken this passage for uh, right now where we are. And so the importance, going back to the beginning, of godly leaders to teach, to be held accountable to the doctrine that they teach. The importance of being a healthy church, as Dan spoke of the last three weeks in chapter 2. Having a responsibility uh, 
to teach right behavior, to do those things from a leadership perspective. But a lot of the last few weeks was not the leadership perspective, but it was the church taking responsibility to do those things as well and alongside of, for the aged men to be grave and sober and temperate and so on and so forth, for the aged women to do the same, the challenge to act and know God more and accept those responsibilities. Dan spoke of being a right example, having the right heart, the importance of that inside of the home and how that ultimately impacts the church and our society. The roles in the home, the examples that we are to be, uh, both men and women, and the challenge of connecting and doing life together, something that we speak of so often here uh, that we are actually, you're going to hear this more and more and more and more and more, I promise, over the next several months, is doing life together. We have so neglected the reality that this life is not just me on an island, though our culture is trying to push us in our islands, but we have got to do this life, especially the life of Christ, together, that we've got to disciple and mentor and do those things. It has to be a responsibility that we take serious. Dan went in last week of the motivation by love, motivated by God's grace and glory and the cross, and as we come into di- to today, we're really, everything today goes back to everything that we've been talking about. It's one continuous letter. They weren't broken down into chapters the way that we see it in our Bibles right now. Uh, but it was one continuous letter. And Dan mentioned, he left off with that motivation by love. And that motivation of love will point us and continue to drive us through everything that we're going to look at here this morning. Because it's taking what we hear and learn inside of the church walls, and now in chapter 3, it's taking it outside. Our call, our action, our evangelism, is, it's all of those things now have to take place outside of the walls of the church. But it starts where? Again, it starts in the church. It starts with the right leaders. It starts that, but it's that motivation of love that was spoke of last week. In all reality, if you just stop and think, Everything that we're talking about goes completely against all of what we would know. Because what happens and what's typical of our society in what, where people are is we have, little, we have little spots. So I am this guy at work. I'm this guy at home. I'm this guy with entertainment. I'm this guy with politics. I'm this guy with my religion. I'm this guy with this. And we have all of these little segments of our lives that are segregated into their own thing, and we often fail to realize that in Christ, all of those things ought to be with the center, God being the center, and and then God is permeated into every other aspect. God should permeate through your life at work. God should permeate through the decisions of entertainment choices. God should permeate through every aspect of our lives. And so often, God stays here. I'm the professional here. So the pastor teaches me about God's word. The, the teacher educates my children at school. This person does this. I am my professional in my work. And they're all just kind of their own individual little segments of our life. And it goes against everything that we're about to look at. 
Because everything that we have been studying, everything that we've been looking at through Titus, really comes to chapter 3 where it says, now all of these things are, are to be done out there in everyday living, that we, everything that we do. And so, as we continue looking at those things, the motivation of love from last week, being reminded our motivation is to serve one another inside of the walls of the church, in the home, and then that pushes us out. If you were with us, and many of you have been around, we've been, we studied several months back in the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, we talked about freedom. We talked about that liberty that we have. And in Galatians chapter 5, we got to the place where it says, what was that liberty for? And it says in Galatians 5, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. So don't use your freedom to do what you want. But by love, serve one another. So we have been called to this liberty. We have been called to this freedom that we would by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We have been given that. So again, our motivation as believers ought to be that we would desire to pour into one another. I desire to pour into somebody younger. I desire to pour into somebody older. I desire to get to know somebody, to connect, to do life together with each other in the church. And so as we get going into chapter 3, we come here, Christians in Crete. We're inside of a Roman culture, which we've looked at this, we've talked about all these things. The Cretans, were the Cretans good and godly people? No. The Cretans were not great people. Inside of this book, we saw in, uh, that in verse number uh, 12 of chapter 1, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own. So somebody of themselves said, we are liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Tell me about your family. Oh, we're a bunch of idiots. We're crooks. I'm just being up front. We're some bad people. That's what happened. So in chapter number one, they said, hey, we're really not good people. <laughs> Liars and crooks and all of these things. So, so that's the culture that they're in. So inside of that, the believers should naturally be what? Set apart and stand out. Right? So inside of that lying, dirty, gross culture, the Christian, the believer, would naturally stand out. Because they may not do the things that everybody else does. They have a different set of rules and standards, if you will. It was natural that they would have been set apart. But at the same time, they were different. They weren't liked all the time. They didn't agree or align within the culture. They met privately on their own in churches. They worshipped different than everybody else. The standard that they had for their lives was different than anybody else. And people around them didn't necessarily like that. Have you ever, uh, are we tracking in comparisons here? They, well you're just that way because of whatever they want to say. You're self-righteous. You're so judgmental. You're all of those things. Listen, this isn't new, the things that we face today. And so, what do we do? In a climate in the culture that we are today, and I'm going to try to do this as loving, as caring, as uh, everything that I can, 
But in the climate and in the culture that we are in today, as much as it was then, this passage of Scripture should jump out. It's so true. It's so real. I say this all the time. The Word of God says that it is living. This is a living document right in front of us that spoke to Titus and to the people in Crete. And today when we look at this, it's almost mind-blowing how much of comparing the two cultures it is. See, if I were to ask this question, John MacArthur asked this question. He asked this, what is the divine call of the church? The divine call of the church, the single divine calling of the church is to bring sinful people to salvation through Christ. We, the church, are to be what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. A priest was to bring God to people and people to God. And if we do not lead the lost to salvation, nothing else we do for them, no matter how beneficial at the time, is of any eternal consequence. I want us to stop and think. Because as we go into this passage of Scripture, some of you might be amening right now, and in a moment you're going to be really angry at me because of what God's Word tells us to do in the midst of the time in which we're in. See, here's my, my, my concern for our church, for the church, for believers today, is that we are more worried that we would tell you how to live a moral life and why morality is better than we ever are about loving you to the Savior. We are more worried, and I, I'm going to read this, when the church adopts a moralizing approach, its energy and resources are diverted and evangelism or evangelization suffers. When Christians become hostile to government and to society in general, they almost inevitably become hostile to the unsaved leaders of that government and the unsaved citizens who live in that society. True change in a society starts when you and I as a believer, when a Christian's moral and spiritual concern is for his own virtue and godliness. See, because listen, when I, am, when I look in the mirror and I am seeking the face of God with everything in me, I'm not worried about the way in which you live and I'm because I'm focused on God. When I see things from people that I love, I'm going to, in love, bring that out. But when we look at this, true change is me focusing on me. Like, I have to be right with God. It is our righteous attitude and conduct that makes us not only more pleasing to the Lord, but more pleasing to the unsaved. It is righteous living that makes the saving message of the gospel believable to the lost. So when we look at this, my, my heart and my concern in reading this and studying this and part of what I felt was punching me in the face over and over and over as I was studying this is we as a church, as an American Christian, as whatever you want to put into that little phrase right there, we have become so consumed 
with making sure that everybody knows of our stances on all of the things cultural, all the things culturally, that we say all of this junk so that we are more moral, but yet we never get to the place where we love somebody to the cross and that Jesus changes the heart and God brings them to morality. I have an opinion on a lot of things, just like everybody else in this room. I like to share my opinion. I love educational conversation. I'm not the greatest. I'm not this big educational guy. But I enjoy. There's certain things. Politics. I thoroughly enjoy politics, actually. I don't talk about politics. Do you know why? Because you can't. It's not, it's not worth it. Because in me discussing my political view with you, Nine out of ten times, one, I'm either in line with you and we just go down the road of trashing somebody that we don't agree with, or I completely lose my credibility to actually have a conversation with somebody most of the time. My fear is that the church has come to the place where we need to stand for certain things. I'm, I'm, I'm there. But even, I'll throw this out, some of you will gasp, but we have done more to scream and fight with abortion than we have in actually loving people to Jesus. Believe, listen, don't, don't put me in this thing where I'm anti, where I'm, no, 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 don't, don't go there with me. We give to those organizations. We partner with that stuff. I'm all for it. I will, yes. But we have put ourselves in this spot where we fight harder for that than we do for the lost who are dying and going to hell. The statement in there, and I've got to, I've got to move forward. I did this last time too. The statement in here that I read was maybe... Um, sorry about that. A priest was good. If we do not lead the lost to salvation, nothing else we do for them, no matter how beneficial at the time, is of eternal consequence. If all that we focus on in our culture is making sure that we live a more moral life, but we have a greater, more moral society. But yet they're dying, and they don't know Christ as Savior. Oh, but we're very moral, but people are dying. Well, but I let you know what I think about all of these things because the government's wrong and all of these things, that I have freedom and I have this and I have this, but, but they're dying and going to hell. But you've got to understand... No, we, we're setting a precedent that these are the things that are most important... While the most important thing is left in the back burner. See, in the people in Crete, we're dealing with the exact same thing. Nothing is different. Titus chapter 3, I've got so much. And I, I fit it in last time, so I'm going to do my best to fit it in this time. Titus chapter 3, and verse number 1 says this. 
Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts, pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But other after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Father, I ask that you would use this passage of scripture in the midst of uh, times where we are on edge on a lot of different things. God, I pray that your word would challenge us. As I said earlier, God, would you cause us to wrestle that we would come to a conclusion personally according to your word, not because of what our emotion tells us. Father, that we, would be, that we would strive to know you in a more intimate manner. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So Paul, like Jesus, did not spend his time condemning many pagan beliefs and practices. He didn't admonish believers to impact the, the pagan culture. Rather, what did he do? He called them to preach, teach, and, wit- and be a witness to the transforming power of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and to live lives that have clear evidence of that power. And so as we go through today, I want us to think, if we fail to remember our duty, our past, our salvation, we will fail to take serious the responsibility that we have inside of our community. In order to take serious our responsibility, the first thought is that we must remember our virtues. We must remember the the call, if you will. We must remember the, the tasks that are in front of us according to God's word. See, the the challenges that were being experienced in Crete, it was important that they were good citizens without compromising their faith. I would say to us today, the challenges that we face today, it is so vitally important that we are good citizens without compromising our faith. Their pagan neighbors may disobey the law, but Christians must submit to the authority of the state. It truly can be tough. I'm telling you right now, it's tough. Anybody else? Do you get really irritated when you do something? The exact same thing that somebody else near you does and you get blasted and they don't. It's irritating. But do you know what's really, what's something for all of us that we have to remember? I as a believer am called out. I am set apart. I have a different set of standards and rules, not because of me, but because of God's word. We get angry and we get irritated because in the flesh, that's just part of where we are. But, when others look at you, they expect something different from you. Which is why when you act a certain way, 
and somebody beside you acts the same way, they look at you and they say, well, I thought you were. See, we, in looking at this passage of Scripture, though that's frustrating, the reminder in this set of Scriptures is, really, it's tough. Because God has called me to be this person in every situation and every circumstance in which we live. Not just a good Christian in the church, but a good Christian out of the church. And as we look at this, it speaks of a reminder. Put them in mind. Remind them to be subject. Remind them of what they have been called. God has called us to have a willing and obedient heart to our authority because we are to show and demonstrate that this world is not the most important thing in our life. I live in America. I believe America is the greatest nation. I love this place. I love the freedoms. I stand for the stars and stars. I love America. I want to, I'm patriotic. I'm all of those things. I love it. But this world is not my home. The Bible says in Philippians 3, for our conversation, our, our citizenship is in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And because of that, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, we having our conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We should show forth a godly lifestyle amongst those. So Paul says to them, he's reminding them, that we are to be subject to authority. This is tough. But Jesus did it perfect, obviously. Matthew chapter 22, verses 16 through 21, you can read all of it in, uh, on your own, but in Matthew 22, uh, Jesus is standing, the Pharisees, the Herodians, they have, they have set up, they've attempted to trip Jesus up, they've attempted to, to get him into this place by asking him of the lawfulness of the task to Caesar. They wanted to catch him, for if he said yes... He would be discrediting himself up, up unto the Jews because the Jews hated the tax. They did not like Caesar. If he were to say no, then he would be uh, able to be called for treason and be taken into prison. His response is, well, what we would expect Jesus' response to be, right? He says, hey, show me that coin. Show me the coin. And then he asks them the question, who is on the coin? And he says, so we ought to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God the things that are God. He did not say the tax was good. He did not say the tax was bad. He did not go into any of those things. Rather, he said we should render to Caesar. Though he knew exactly who Caesar was, he knew exactly who Caesar claimed to be, but he said we are to render unto Caesar. As we go into this passage, it says to be subject to the principalities and powers. It says to be obedient, to obey magistrates. Obedience. We are to obey authorities except in regards to being commanded to go against God. Acts chapter 4. What do we see in Acts chapter 4? Peter and John were told what? You cannot speak and teach in the name of Jesus Christ. So Peter and John said, hey, sorry, but that's not, we can't do that. I will be speaking and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And they did. And there was an arrest and there was other things that came with that. But we are to be a subject to, but we're also be, to be obedient unto. 
And as we read, as we keep going, it says, obey those magistrates. And it says to be ready to every good work. When we talk about being ready for every good work, this is us living a Christian life, living a godly life, seeking the face of God, walking with God. And as those things come up, we do them because it's right to do. It's not that I'm waiting for the attention. It's not that I'm I'm doing something that is uh, just, it looks good at the time because somebody's watching. It's I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do as the opportunity to love people comes before us, we love people. It's really looking at, a, at, a, at an attitude. It's looking at, a, at all of those things that we would have the right attitude to take advantage of and see the opportunity that's around you. We are demonstrating a spiritual transformation in our lives by doing right, by deciding to live in such a way, to be ready to give uh, to every good work, In the midst of all of what's going on, we are demonstrating a transformed life that we love God and we are going to live in such a manner. It might get a little more difficult at this point for some. Verse number two, what does it say? Four, or two, speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So I am to be subject... I am to be obeying. I am to be ready to good work. But now I am to speak no evil. I am not to malign. I am not to speak evil of no one. How do we speak of those who contribute to and assault our beliefs? It's hard sometimes because we speak things that are maligning, that are blasphemous, that are they, they come out of anger when we speak of those people. See, how do you speak of, in our cult, or current situation, those that are in authority? It's not always easy to say kind things because we don't have many kind things to say. But God's Word says that we would speak evil of no man. Because as we look at this, When we do those things, regardless of their treatment of you and or I, we hinder the work of redemption. Paul said it in 1 Timothy, that he would exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved. Our words say so much. It says that we would be peaceable, live and be friendly, peaceable towards others rather than quarrel with them. It is so easy to get upset and angry, yet we were called to be peaceful and peaceable for the greater prize that is ahead of us. Be gentle, similar to peaceable, that we would be moderate and fair, that we would forbear a sweet reasonableness is what that's looking at. It continues on to speak of humility to all men, 
being considerate of all. It is similar to the previous two and having a genuine consideration of others, that we would put others before ourselves. Again, not for personal gain, but out of a heart of love. We have been set free. We have been given liberty. We have had those things to by love serve one another. And I'm not going to lie, these couple verses punched me in the gut because there's a lot of things I don't like right now. There's a lot of things that I could stand and say, well, they've done this and they're doing that and they're doing this and we can try to pull out everything that we want to pull out and we can try to use this and we can try to do that, but nine out of ten times, it does nothing. And we just cause ourselves to go through this stir of emotion and anger and fighting and, and we lose the credibility. We lose the opportunity for redemption to take place in people's lives. So, in order to take serious our responsibility, we first have to remember our virtues. The next is that we must remember our past. Looking at verse number three, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. See, we get so upset as believers, we look at verses one and two and we get so upset that we don't need to be subject, we don't need to do this, we don't need to do that. Do you not understand my this? Do you not understand that? Do you, where are you at? How can this and how can that? And we fail most every time and that we don't stop and remember that I used to think like that. There used to be a time where I really didn't care about morality. I didn't care about going out. I didn't care about drinking. I didn't care about sleeping around. I didn't care about this. I didn't care about language. I didn't care about this thing or that thing or the other thing. I didn't really care. There was a time in our lives before Christ that we did and lived a lot of things. And now all of a sudden we come to know Jesus as Savior. And all of a sudden we look back and we go, oh, but this. And oh, we get so angry. We get so frustrated when if we were to just stop and say, look, but they don't look out of the same lens that we look out of. When they made that decision, they didn't make that decision praying and seeking the face of God. When they acted that way, they didn't make that decision thinking about the reality that God is an almighty but all-powerful God and that God loves them. They didn't think about those things. There was nothing on their mind that thought of those things. Rather, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to live today because tomorrow I might die and I better have a lot of fun while I'm here. And we're going, how can you do this? Don't you know that we have this? They don't. They literally don't. And we get so upset. And Paul says to Titus, we ourselves were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived and serving diverse lust. I wonder if we would stop and Remember more often the reality that the lost world is acting like the lost world. How much different and how much greater my impact could be. 
I wonder if I would stop. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with in, in, a, in the right setting to call out wrong. There's nothing wrong. I, I get that. But I wonder if at times we weren't to just stop and have this conversation. Have you ever truly and genuinely had a conversation with somebody that was as lost as lost can be? And they're sharing things that you look at that is debauchery or just moral absolute filth. And they look at you and they don't understand when you say, have you thought of this? And with dumbfoundedness on their face, they go, really, that's, that's, you don't think that's the right thing to do? And you would say, no, and here's why. It's mind-blowing. Because they don't think like you think. Their eyes haven't been opened to trusting and accepting the gospel. And so they live a life that's a little bit different. And I wonder if we were to stop and be reminded and remember who we once were. Maybe you'd say, well, I was saved as a child. Maybe you would just be reminded of the grace that God gave to you that you didn't have to go down that road, that your parents brought you to church. In order that we would have As believers, a godly testimony, we have to remember where we once were. We must remember our past. We must uh, not forget those things that we lived in such a way that I was once enslaved to the various lusts and pleasures and sinful desires and the satisfactions and the insatiable pursuit of self-satisfaction. But God... See, in order to take serious our responsibility, we must remember those virtues. We must remember our past. We must remember our salvation. I couldn't get over this, these, last couple, these next couple verses for so much of my time away. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared. After that, After all of those wicked things, after all of this, God's kindness appeared. And so many times we miss chapter 4 or verse number 4, we jump right to chapter, verse. I keep saying that, jump right to verse number 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done. We begin to go through this this process of leading somebody to the Lord and we we almost skip over verse number 4. I did that so many times and it was like verse number 4 just jumped out at me. It literally just like leapt off the page and was like, here you go, I'm going to smack you with this. It said, but... Then, but after that, the kindness and love of God appeared. Wait. We just talked about all of the things that we were. All of the things that our world lives in. All of the decisions and the, uh, the, the rationale and the things that we look at and we get so irritated and so frustrated and we do all of those things. But in the middle of that, but God's kindness appeared then, the kindness of God appeared. Why do I live the way that I live? Because the kindness and grace and mercy of God gripped a hold of my heart. 
Why do I look at morality differently today than maybe I would have uh, prior to Christ? Because the kindness and the love and the mercy and the grace of God gripped the hold of my heart. Why do you look at abortion the way that it is, which is nasty and disgusting and all of those things? Because the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God has gripped the hold of your heart and you don't see a bunch of tissue. You see a flesh. You see somebody. You see a soul. You see an individual. You see a child. Somebody that doesn't know Jesus doesn't see that because their eyes haven't been opened to the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God they haven't grasped it and so many times so many times we blow the opportunity that they would ever see it because we can't keep our mouths shut because we don't walk with God in the manner that we live in discernment and the wisdom to know what to say how many times I've opened my mouth and I've thought oh Lord why did you say that? How many times have I pushed send and I'm like, ah, uh, delete, 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 delete. It's already out there. Because we're worried that somebody wants to, we're worried about the morality. We're not worried about salvation. And here, God says, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. And he goes to verse number five, and I know I've got to fly. He says, not by works of righteousness. The kindness of God did not appear in your life because of your righteousness. It did not appear in your life because of your goodness. It did not, it did not appear in your life for anything that you had done outside of the fact that God's kindness and love was because of his mercy and his grace that he bestowed all of that upon us. It's that kindness that initiates repentance. It's that kindness, that love that draws us. We love him because he first loved us. Because how do I look at somebody who in the midst of all of my filth walks right in and says, I love you. How do I look at them and just shove them away? Many do. But it's because of that love that I am drawn to him. That mercy and that grace. I am saved. I am set free. I no longer look at things the same way that he shed on us, it says in verse 6, abundantly through Jesus Christ. He's given us a new life. He's washed us clean. He's set us free so that we would be motivated by love to go. That we would be motivated by love to be subject. That we would be motivated by love to be obedient. That we would be motivated by love that we wouldn't say slanderous things. That we would be motivated by love for all of those things because we remember these are all of who I was, but then the kindness and mercy of God has bestowed upon me. And in verse number 8, as I close out, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Listen, it is good for you to fall in love with Jesus and to live a life of Christ-likeness outside of the walls of this church, 
I love that you are here. I am grateful for the many who have walked through the doors of Oasis Baptist Church over the 13, nearly 14 years that I've been here. I'm grateful to have seen people come. But if all we do is leave our Christianity inside of the walls of the church, we have a world of people out there that don't get anything of what you believe, of what you say you believe. And it says it in verse 8. It's a faithful saying, I will that thing uh, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God. What does it say? If we believed in God, might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Listen, our life that we live outside of these walls is so vitally important. If we fail to remember our duty, our past, our salvation, we will fail to take serious the responsibility that we have in our community. We have been given such a great responsibility. And I think sometimes, out of discomfort, we leave it right here. I think sometimes, out of not having a walk with God, we we are lacking in discernment we lack in that wisdom of what to say and what not to say we lack in some of these things in the days and age in which we live we're all frustrated we're all irritated we're all at each other's necks because we're just not happy but as a believer it doesn't give us the okay to act that out actually the exact opposite we ought to be we ought to be the ones showing forth and being set apart. There's a, I believe there's a time and a place where we need to do certain things. I believe that there's a time and a place, and I, I feel right now there's a fine line that we are walking. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I said this in the last service. I'll say it now. And I, I spoke this several weeks back where I stand on some of the things that we have had. I believe that we have to adhere to the governance that God has placed in our lives whether I like it or I don't like it. Until we are told that we cannot. And I believe in California, they're seeing some of those things. I believe there's other things. We haven't experienced that today here. We've been told to do things we don't like. We've not been told we cannot do things. And so there is a fine line that has to be walked. I'm at that place. I'm very much there. How do I stand up and fight for things that I truly believe that we need to stand up and fight for? And still be honoring to the Lord. I think that there's a fine line with that. But I think most of our fight is more that we are striving to make this culture a more moral culture. A more, we're so worried about some of the things that we have as liberties and freedom as Americans that has nothing to do with us as a believer. And we look foolish to those that are on the outside. And we lose the opportunity to stand and share the gospel when the gospel opportunity is there. And so I come to you today, and I'm sure there's maybe more passion in some aspects, but I do. I believe that we're, we're in a place that's tough. But we're not the first people to face the things that we face. It may be the first of our generation, (laughs) you know. I've never seen some of the things that we're seeing. Maybe some of you that sit here have never seen some of the things that we're seeing. 
But God's word is very clear. And this is why I say that this passage of scripture in Titus, many months before anything has ever come up, was set. And it's just almost eerie how God has ordained each piece with everything that we're seeing in our culture. And I don't believe that that's by chance. I believe that that's something that we need. We need to come together. We need to recognize our culture, but we also need to live the life of Christ outside of these walls and be aware of all of these things that we've seen. We just want to thank you again for joining us today. We pray that the service has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. Here at Oasis, we have a desire to walk alongside of you, to be a partner in your walk with the Lord. So if you have made any decision today, we would love to pray with and celebrate that with you. So will you please take a moment and fill out that connect form or text decision to the number provided below. Oasis is supported by the faithful people like you. So if you have a desire to give to the ministry and mission of Oasis, you can text give to the number provided below, click on the give link or mail in your gift to the church office. Lastly, we have a desire to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, you can email us at prayer at oasislv.church. Church, as we continue our study in the book of Titus, I pray that this life-changing grace will drive you to this world-changing action as a passionate follower of Christ.